If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Lives branding team. In the following episode of The Transition, I'm joined by Army veteran, published author, and serial entrepreneur, Mike Irwin, founder and executive director of Team Red, White, and Blue. Founded in 2010, Team RWB is a nonprofit organization with chapters all across the country that deliver consistent local opportunities for veterans and the community to connect through physical and social activity. Team RWB is one of the first veteran nonprofits I came across back in 2018, just after getting connected with Bunker Labs. Mike is also the co-author of multiple books, including Lead Yourself First, Inspiring Leadership Through Solitude, and Leadership is a Relationship, How to Put People First in the Digital World. On the show, Mike and I discuss the origins of Team RWB, including the importance of physical fitness, leading yourself first, and why life is a team sport. Make sure you have some pen and paper handy for this episode in order to write down the multiple gems that Mike drops throughout the show. Before I jump into the interview with Mike, make sure you subscribe to the Transition Podcast on your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. I can't stress it enough how important it is for you to leave reviews and help us get the word out about the show. Additionally, if there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show, feel free to shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. I also want to encourage you to check out my first book, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, Validate Your Business Model, Build Your Brand, and Step Into Greatness, available on Amazon at the link in the show notes as well. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Mike, my brother, welcome to The Transition. What's going on? Hey, great to be here, Mike. Yeah, it's great. You know, Mike and Mike on the mic. So it's looking forward to the discussion here and it's been a long time coming. I was telling Mike before we went live, Bunker Labs and Team RWB were some of the first veteran organizations I came across, like post-transition. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't really looking at like identify as this veteran guy when I left the military. I kind of wanted to go out and do my own thing. Then, as I've said before on this platform, got connected to the veteran entrepreneurial ecosystem. And my first Bunker Labs event, I saw a bunch of people rocking the Team RWB while they were running around. And so you've got staying power because you've been around since like I kind of consider you in that list of like OG veteran nonprofits because, you know, a lot of them come and go and they fizzle out. But you're still here, man. I'm excited to get you on the platform. I was like, I got to get Mike to talk about not only leading yourself first, but, you know, you and I both have experience running nonprofit organizations and it is not glamorous at all. Mm -mm. No, it, it is full of hard work. And especially, you know, in the world today, as we think about coming out of COVID and some of the challenges there to get people back you know, to desire to be in real life. But yeah, going back to your original question is, yeah, so founded in 2010. So yeah, we're about 13 years old, which is hard to believe because in one sense, it seems like it was just yesterday. And it also feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like 13 years is more like 50. But 
like you said, Mike, it's definitely a lot of hard work. And ultimately, that's that's why I love it. You know, like I'm not here for the easy stuff. I'm here, you know, to struggle and I'm here for the hard stuff. And, and that's ultimately what allows me to show up every day despite the challenges with a positive attitude. So our, our listeners that are not familiar with Team RDV, RWB, you might give them a quick overview and also sure. your background as a West Point grad and published author and, you know, serial entrepreneur at this point. Sure. Yeah. So start off with, so oldest of four kids born in Syracuse, New York, and I uh, went to West Point. 9-11 took place at the start of my senior year. So, you know, I went military intelligence. That was the big push was like, hey, this is an intelligence failure. The future is going to be really driven by our ability to, to get better at intelligence, which really attracted me into that field. So did 13 years on active duty. And uh, that included a deployment to Iraq for a year. And then two deployments to Afghanistan, where I was the intelligence officer for Third Special Forces Group. You know, after that, they sent me, the Army sent me to grad school, and I was in the personality psychology PhD program at the University of Michigan for two years. And then I went back and I taught psychology and leadership at West Point, um, and then transitioned to uh, the reserves in 2015. So, backpedaling to Team RWB, I actually founded it while I was a graduate student at the University of Michigan in 2010. So the big need that was pretty clear to anybody who was in the military, was a veteran in that window of time, was the help to veterans to provide transition support and assistance to them. A lot of times you would see a service member come right back out of a combat rotation, and within eight weeks, they would have cleared post, turned all their equipment in, done all their out-processing counseling, and then been out in the civilian world. And to say that is disorienting is, is an understatement. And so a lot of veterans thought that it would be easier. They're like, hey, I just went to war. Like, how hard can it be, right, to, to go back, you know, to where I grew up or to go back into the civilian world? And I think a lot of veterans found out pretty quickly, as any one of us who has transitioned, found out that it is actually very hard. It goes into the psychology and sense of identity and a sense of purpose and routine and structure, all those things that are present in the military just kind of go away. <laughs> and, and it's not easy to figure out what you want to do next. So anyways, that was the original founding of the organization grounded in positive psychology, where the research is cleared that the number one predictor and driver of life satisfaction and fulfillment is the quality of our social relationships, family, friends, teammates, coworkers, roommates, people that we do life with, they are essential to, to living a satisfactory and fulfilled life. And so that's what we started as in the in RWB like 1.0 for the first decade was really focused on that. But I'll kind of land this plane by saying that we're really on this next phase of the journey that started just before COVID. And that is that we evolved into becoming a health and wellness community. So yes, we still help service members transition, but ultimately we are about the mental, physical, and emotional health of the veteran community. It's a lifelong journey, as we all know. You know, when you transition, you might make a good transition in the first couple of years, then something happens. Something goes sideways and it's how do you bounce back from that? Or you might be really rocky in those first couple of years and then you can find some stability. But throughout all of that, it's, inc it's incredibly important for all of us, any human being, but especially veterans, to tap into the power of physical activity and relationships at the community level to help you to navigate all of that volatility in life. You bring up a good point about those relationships because, you know, my business coach, who's a West Point grad named Bill Watkins, right? He makes us map out these like 
you know, super happy fun days. And then we do this reflect back and look forward. And you ask yourself, when you look over the year, where were some of the like happiest experiences that you had? For me, bar none, it's been hanging out with friends and family. You know, yep. like last year, you know, every year at New Year's, we typically take a trip with some of my fraternity brothers. And it was just the most perfect day ever. Like if I died that day, yeah. I would yep. be a happy man. And I'm always yep. kind of thinking about like, man, how feel how how fulfilled I am when I'm around other people that care about me. I care about them and we can just spend time hanging out with each other. And so even now I make a habit of going hiking with a friend on Saturday yep. mornings or working out and grabbing someone. I think you're spot on, especially in this post COVID world we're in, because I feel like there's a shift. I think people are more and more isolated these days, yes. even though we're around each other all the time. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, when you look to, so let's look, rewind the tape to, you know, March of 2020. So like there was a lot of like the mandatory isolation and, you know, stay at home and all that. But then there was all this volatility for like the next 18 months of like, we're starting to come back to life. No, we're not like different variants were emerging and, and there was different laws and there was different fears down to the individual level. Some people were, were, Hey, I respect it, but I'm going to live my life. Other people were you know, kind of paralyzed, you know, you know, by the fear of, of it. And, and so wherever you were on that spectrum, at the end of the day, it created a lot of physical and also emotional separation between people. So that was one part of it. But then coming out of it, as you said, into this post-COVID world, we know that it, it takes in general three to four weeks to build habits, good or bad. And when you look at that, you know, that window of time, pay, a lot of people build built what I would call bad habits, bad habits of I can zoom that that board meeting in I can, I can just like check in, you know, virtually, or I can just watch the, the game or, or experience that, you know, from my computer or from my couch, rather than go experience it in person, certainly with some exceptions, like Taylor Swift concerts and NFL football games, like there's some exceptions, but most organizations, and many people have not bounced back. And I'm not sure that there ever really will be a full bounce back to the level of in-person engagement ever again, because as virtual reality, as augmented reality, as AI continues to expand, I think there's this real question of where do people want to be in person and where do they want to be able to pipe in remotely or virtually and, and experience it that way and get 80% of, of the benefit without having to put in all the work to go park your car, walk up the hill to the carrier dome to go watch the Syracuse Orange in play, you know? So that's, that's a big thing right now, philosophically, that I think each person is grappling with, is figuring that out. Where is the juice worth the squeeze for me to go there in person, to go see that friend, to go on that hike, to go to the gym with, et cetera? So I'm going to take off my armor, yeah. right? And I appreciate you bringing up this point because I think I built some bad habits. And I think that affected my mental health when things got hard. So I talked about mental health on this podcast, and I'm not... I'm not typically the guy that like goes to a veteran event and wants to talk about suicide and PTSD mm -hmm. and yada, yada, yada. But then this summer, I lost two friends, two young Naval Academy grads, one tragic accident. The other one was a suicide. Yep. And on paper, this guy looked like he had it all going on. Young guy, graduated the academy like 2019, was doing his thing down and, you know, as a submarine officer, and he killed himself. And it wrecked me, Mike. Yep. And all of a sudden, I was like, is this depression or something? Right. Like, why is it so hard to get up and just do the normal things that I'm supposed to do, such as going to the gym and working out and yada, yada. And I found myself just kind of stuck in this phase. 
But because of those bad habits I had picked up before, I had been isolating myself to try to get work done, you know? Mm -hmm. So living alone in Newark, New Jersey, one bedroom apartment. I do yeah. have a girlfriend, <clears throat> been with uh, Simone Gates. Everything just felt hard for no reason. Right. And I didn't feel myself. And I had to, you know, persevere, get out of it, hired a coach. And so I'm back in the fight. But I don't think I'm the only person that's dealt with that. Oh, and no. it was a blow to my confidence because I'm used to being strong. I'm used yeah. to being Iron Mike. And I'm like, yeah. I don't feel strong right now. Yeah. I mean, think about you know, you, you know, your name, your brand, like all the things you've accomplished, the fellowships you've been a part of and all that. I mean, this is, this is the reality is no one's immune. No one is, you know, immune from like the reality that that can happen, you know, especially when you find the physical separation is being a big part of it. And then there's a couple of trigger events, right? A couple of things that might happen. It might be that spark or that catalyst to send you down, you know, into a really reclusive place physically and or mentally. And so this is something that so many people in America struggle with. I mean, you might have seen this, but about, five, I think, five months ago, the Surgeon General came out with and essentially declared loneliness as an epidemic level in the United yeah. States, you know? And, like, this is something that you think, oh, yeah, okay, people who are maybe who are older or who are shut in, like, I, you know, that, that's actually not it. Like, it's actually much more people who are younger, who have more access to other people, who are living their lives through social media and through their devices. Because loneliness is the feeling of, of not being connected to other people when you want to be, you know, and, and very often there's, it's a lot of younger people who are struggling the most with this, that they want to be connected and they, and they don't feel that. So regardless of like whatever the age demographic is that struggles with loneliness, it's definitely an American wide problem across all ages right now that devices and social media and things that which can be forces for good, which can be awesome to share great messages, to inspire people, to do those things. Like we've got to be very careful because they are slippery slopes and they can pull us into a place where, oh man, I'm judging myself, me against you. You know, I am looking at how you're living your life and I'm comparing it to my struggles. And, and all of a sudden you start creating these barriers in your mind where you start realizing, oh man, maybe my life's not as good as I thought it was. And, you know, and so now you start doing all this rumination and all this negative self-talk and, and regardless of how much you've accomplished in your life, it doesn't really care about that, right? Because when you go to that place of rumination or there's that catalyst event, like a suicide of somebody close to you or a loss of somebody or whatever it might be, it's, it's sometimes it's almost inevitable that you'll take that turn you know, on the well-being for the worse and you've got to have a game plan to fight out like you did. Hey, whether it's hiring a coach, whether it's you know, saying, I got to move from here to somewhere else. I got to make a change because right now it's not good. You have to have that self-awareness to know I've got to do something different and soon before this, this hole gets deeper. Man, I, I'm so glad to hear that because that's what I realized I had to do. And like one of the things I love about podcasting, because as you and I are talking, it's making me reflect. Remember I said one of the habits mm -hmm. I built up? I think the other thing is I had gone OFP. So, you know, I had been on my own fucking program working yeah. out wise. Yeah. So for the longest time, I was part of this CrossFit community. We did Spartan races together, yada, yada, yada. Got a little burned out of CrossFit. So you know what I am? I'm the guy that yeah. goes in there, does my own little strength training program and stuff, et cetera. But totally. again, when you're going through it, you don't have that connectivity. So I realized what you said. I was like, man, I got to change it up. Hit up my buddy. And I said, hey, you want to go hiking on Saturday? Boom, let's do it. We do our little ruck pack and we get out there and get it. So having the self-awareness to recognize the route I'm on is not yes. working. I need yes. to make a drastic change. Totally. Yeah. And like I said, that's, that's really self-awareness. 
and and then knowing that and then doing something about it because you can have this all the self-awareness in the world but then obviously it boils down to can you make the change do you have that courage to be able to make the change and and, and often a drastic change like yours is actually you know you made some some tweaks to the, to the game plan and the tweaks worked for you sometimes people have to make drastic changes in terms of like who they're living with or you know like where what job they have right? sometimes people go through major overhauls you know to be able to get themselves out of it i love the idea of having that accountability coach i mean really that's what a coach is right they provide that accountability they provide that conversation with you they hold up that mirror you know right to your face and, and help out in that way but it's really the accountability and that goes back to working out like that's what we do at team red white and blue is like every time i put this shirt on it's just it's a reminder to me that i'm accountable to the to the veteran community i'm accountable to other people who I'm talking to people about health and wellness. Well, I've got to be walking the talk. And, and to me, that is such an important part of this. And you can call it accountability you know, or you, you know, you know, a whole bunch of different things. But to me, it boils down to, you know, hey, we're accountable to other people more than we are ourselves. Simon Sinek says this a lot, you know, that like, you know, I want to hold myself accountable. Yeah, kind of. But really, you're holding yourself accountable so that you can be better for other people, right? And really, by the, the accountability conversation, is really about how do we ensure that we're showing up as best as we possibly can for the other people in our lives who are counting on us for leadership and for love. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I've been in combat, I've been shot at, I've been mortared, but nothing has been as nearly as challenging as the mental pounding that comes with being an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you know, and totally. still having to show up for your team when you got cash flow issues or you're not feeling yourself. And that's why I really like this topic of like leading yourself first. And yeah. like I reached out to Mike probably like a month and a half ago and was like, hey, I want to get you on the podcast, et cetera. But I was still in the process of coming out of that haze yep. and I could just not keep up that battle rhythm. But I had to recognize it. And it's like, listen, man, I can't show up and perform if I'm not taking care of myself. And totally. as an entrepreneur, sometimes it feels super selfish to do those things because we have other people relying on us. And if you're a veteran, particularly if you're like a combat veteran, we're yeah. always told to push, push, push. Yeah. But like we weren't doing deployments for six, for six years straight. Yeah, know? totally. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of the conversation around leading yourself first, so a couple of things. One, started researching it way back in 2010. We identified back then, my co-author and I, about the challenges of the information age and, and the negative effect that it would take on leadership, you know, that it would have. And so, that's definitely a big, a big part of this is that the whole mantra was, hey, if you're going to show up for other people and you're going to ask them to do things and push them to do things like the part of this is that you owe them like you're the best version of yourself. Right. And so how do you do that? Like you have to think, you have to reflect, you have to analyze, you got to focus. So you make good decisions. Right. You all those things require, you know, focus and and minimizing distractions so you can lean into the big meaty items so you get those big ideas and those big decisions right. And it's, I'm not gonna say it's impossible to do that while you're living in a hyper state of distraction, but it's a lot harder, you know? And so that's the one of the big messages of the book. And it's interesting, a lot of people who, who resonate most with the book, you know, so I do some leadership work with like Jacob Truba, the captain of the New York Rangers and some hockey players and you know, college sports teams and major league baseball players. And, you know, lead yourself first is also really powerful as it as also for an entrepreneur, you know this, but when people are constantly praising you, right, you either get like hammered, right, for people like, you know, like for, you know, whatever, being self-promotional or not doing well enough. But then you got a lot of other people out there who are kind of lifting you up and, and telling you how great you are. 
actually a lot of people who, who get lifted up a lot love the book because it, it's a constant reminder about the power of humility and the power of no matter how much you've accomplished, how big of a deal you are, that ultimately you're not that big of a deal, right? And often leaders are prone you know, to, you know, to adulation you know, from people and, and especially entrepreneurial leaders that start organizations. Without you, this never would be here. <laughs> like, I can't tell you right. the times I've heard that. Yeah, factually true, but yeah, but without all of you other people, then like it wouldn't be what it is, right? So let's not, you know, lift leaders up, you know, on too big of a pedestal, but that's what we do. We do it for quarterbacks and coaches in football. We do it for, you know, CEOs of companies and generals in the military. Like we, we do it all the time that we, you know, if you're a leader, you get, you get an, an unfair amount of the credit when things go right and an unfair probably amount of the blame when things go wrong. And so that's one of the big messages that I love about the book as well is it grounds you, you know, in that reality that hey, regardless of how many people are out there telling you how great you are or how amazing things are going, like you still have the responsibility to sit with yourself and realize you're just another human being and that, yes, you might be in a leadership position and, and that comes with a lot of responsibility and you owe it to the people you lead to, to do that well. And to do that well, you need to think, reflect, focus, and make sure that you're showing up as best as you possibly can every day. Now you've got background as an army officer, you've led multiple organizations. When did you find yourself kind of grinded down and had to revisit your own material? Mm. A lot. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the joke is, you know, amongst authors, you might've heard this one before, but like, is that authors write books that they need to read? So true. You know? I need to reread Black Veteran Entrepreneur yeah. like today. Yeah. I mean, like when you, when you think about it, you're like, you know, you're like, Hey, I, I wrote that book in, in part for myself, you know? So yeah, for me, like I would tell you that for sure in those early, what I call the RWB boom years of 2012 to 2015, I mean, so much of what we did was like driven by social media and answering emails and being on calls. You know, we didn't have all the zoom and all the technology like we do today, you know, but a lot of it was, you know, emails and phone calls and, you know, when, as you know, as an entrepreneur, especially, but when you're obsessed by an idea and you, and you want to willpower it and do your part to, to bring it to life, it requires a big sacrifice and a big commitment. And, and you can easily find yourself reaching tracer burnout. And so I, I certainly found that quite a bit in those times. You know, honestly, I, I did not do as good as a job looking back, you know, as, as I would have liked as I look back at it. Um, some of the leaders on my team did a much better job of kind of grounding me and saying, hey, like, Mike, I know like that you're obsessed by like making this organization as great as it can be. Everyone wants to see it be impactful, but like, you take a deep breath, man, you know? And, and so I would find myself for sure in those moments, you know, in the, in the boom years when things were moving so fast and growing so fast, it feels like your hair is on fire, you know, but for me, it, it also, you know, is just kind of like, more of a micro thing, like more of like week to week. I find myself in certain moments of, of the day. I just feel like I'm racing through the day and it's like, oh my goodness, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. How did I, how did I get here? It felt like I just woke up and like, like we're not meant to like race through life and caffeinate our way through life and just power through, you know, like at the end of the day, when this all ends, you, you know, like, yeah, you might have all these like, organ, you know, these organizations or these things you've accomplished to show for it. But if you've been you know, living with your hair on fire and every day is just one thing to the next and you can't slow down and take a deep breath and appreciate the sun and like the world around you and the people in your life, then like, are you really like, do you really have that great of a life? I'd argue no, you know, and this is the big struggle that so many celebrities and high profile people have, 
you know, is that they've got, you know, like so many people coming at them and so many things going on. And so like, like slow down. It's a, it's a message I remind myself of as frequently as I possibly can, but much easier said than done when, when you're a type A person and you want to knock down targets and you want to get things done. You know, the temptation is there to just go, 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 go. And, and I, I fight against it pretty much on the daily. I forgot the author's name, but there's a book called Stolen Focus. And I was listening to a podcast with him. And one of the things he said was the kind of platforms and media you consume will mm -hmm. dictate the lens through which you see the world. And so with oh, social yeah. media and the scroll, it's like, oh, everything is moving quick. It's quick. It's quick. And a lot of us do feel that blink. I know oh, I do. Like I wake up, I'm going 100 miles an hour. When I'm on, I'm crushing it. You know, I'm yeah. ah. But when I am off, oh, my God, watch out. Yeah. You know, totally. and what's crazy about it is a lot of times that happens when on the outside, everything looks on the up and up, you yeah. know, it's like, he's killing it. He's crushing it. But behind the scenes, it's like, man, I'm trying to keep it together. Just like the rest of y'all. Totally. Yeah. You're exactly right. Like this is, this is the struggle, man. And, and you know, I, I just look, I think that means you're human, right? That's, that's what I tell myself frequently when I sit there and sometimes I'll kind of get, you know, critical about it. It's, that's, that's part of being a human. And there's, there's no finish line to figuring this stuff out. So like, yeah, I figured it out. I'm good, man. Like, it's just, it's a constant journey. At the academies, you and I both learned about like, I call it brilliant in the basics, right? Yep. Getting up, getting your workout in, getting energized, right? Setting yes. your intentions for the day, you know, then we, let's add mindfulness to it. I don't know if you yep. were taught mindfulness at the academy. I nope. wasn't, but let, nope. let's add that to our toolkit now. But yep. there are these basic things in health and wellness. Eat a healthy, nutritious meal. Right. And in our space, right, we know mental health is a challenge for a lot of veterans. It is mm -hmm. what it is. Yep. But you're seeing more and more people coming back to the importance of getting a good night's sleep, of oh, getting yeah. up and working out. And I think that's why what you're doing, particularly targeting that niche, a, a health and wellness community, is so important now, especially when you talk about that information overload. Do I take cannabis? Do I take what's the other stuff? Yeah. Like. Yeah, like you LSD, know. like um, LSD, micro, right? Micro Mushrooms, like all yeah. these different things. Yeah. But then you listen to the research and they're like, how about you get a good night's sleep? <laughs> yeah. How about you work out, eat yep. a good meal? Just yep. like the basics. basics. And I think a lot of people are trying to skip that step. Totally. Yeah, this is a really interesting conversation I've had with one of our board members, Chris McNamara, Sergeant Major over at one of the, uh, the tier one units here. And, you know, he talks about this a lot. Like there's, there's all these hacks, right? There's all these, you know, different things that people can do. And, and he's such a big proponent of really reduce or eliminate your alcohol consumption because that's horrible for you, right? In terms of like your health and, and how you sleep and, and how you act, which, you know, I, 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 like, I like a couple of drinks, man. That's, that's a hard one for me to hear, but I know it's true. And I see on social media when people celebrate their sobriety for X number of days or years and everyone celebrates them for a reason. Everyone knows, man, I wish it was easier for me to just put, you know, put down the booze. But he talks about that, you know, alcohol, the importance of getting a good night's sleep, you know, I, I've got a, you know, you know, whether you have an aura ring or a Fitbit, you know, whatever it might be, your device that helps provide, be again, be that accountability partner, you know, for you to let you know about how you're sleeping. And then, yeah, movement. And I say this a lot, the military, I talked about this with my brother-in-law recently. He's like, Mike, just so you know, I know you started team, team RDVB. Like I hate working out. I'm like, dude, I understand. <laughs> like the military, it's, you wake up early. You, regardless of the weather, you're out there at 6.30 in the morning, standing around and waiting for formation. And then you often do like push-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks, you know, and then you run up and down Battalion Avenue, right? Like it's not a very innovative or creative way, you know, to physical fitness. 
I'd say all the time, like you don't have to go out there and crush yourself in a workout. You can row nice and easy. You can, you can get on uh, a, you know, a, a treadmill or you can go put on a light rucksack and go for a hike or a walk. You, you can swim, you can rock climb. There's a million modalities out there about how you can, as long as you're elevating your heart rate, that's what you need to do. And so like, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, and that's what a lot of veterans do is they've got a negative association of PT in the military. And then they kind of like say, I don't need to do that in my, in my post-military life. I got enough PT in, you know, when the military made me do it. And, and so again, to your point, fundamentals, it doesn't have to be like, you know, running marathons or crushing yourself in the CrossFit gym. It's, it's basic movement, eating in moderation, reducing the alcohol. Oh, by the way, also watching your caffeine. It's another one. People can, do they often just power through by taking in like, you know, a gram of co- caffeine a day. And then lastly, like you said, like your sleep, you know, and then monitoring your sleep and working to improve your sleep. If you can do those things and focus on the fundamentals of health and wellness, you're going to be significantly better. And then yes, go to the cold plunges and the saunas and the, you know, the micro dosing, if you need that for like, you know, for some of the, of the struggles of PTSD or, or nightmares, like then go to that stuff. But I think that a lot of people are going to that stuff first, hoping that, it, and look, for some people that does work, going to that. I know some people who've done some of it and, and it's worked and that's great. I'm happy for them. But I just think that holistically, if you go there and then you don't develop those sound basic fundamentals that you just talked about, then it, it's not, I'm not gonna say it's for naught, but it has real limited you know, effects because it's short term, not long run. Yeah. The word I was going to use was psychedelics. I had to think mm-hmm. about it while you were talking. Psychedelics. But you're getting psychedelics in the mix. And listen, yeah. I do not have a PhD in kinesiology by any means, yeah. right? Yep. I am no subject matter expert on this stuff. But I will just tell y'all where I'm at. I'm exactly like you said, Mike. Not drinking alcohol. Yep. I don't take any supplements. So I don't yep. take protein powder. I'm just basic. Right. And when I think about like at the time of my life when I was really getting after it, boxing on a naval academy, boxing team, or yeah. humping it in the Marine Corps, man, I was just doing the basics. And I was totally. in pretty damn good shape. Yep. And I had a client today, and I said, did you work out? He's like, oh, not really. I went on a walk. I was like, it counts. Yeah, man. You know? Steps. Absolutely. Getting your steps in. Yeah. Because Throw a little bit of weight on your like, back, and you're crushing it. Yeah. When you go to a place like West Point or Marine Corps, they try to suck all the fun out of everything. Won't even let you heat up your food. They're like, you're salt. <laughs> yeah. But as yeah. a civilian, it's all about sustainability. Right. You know? And it's like, how can you create this where it's fun? You keep showing up and build some consistency. I went on a trip to Peru. I went glamping mike i didn't even know yeah. that was a term yeah glamorous <laughs> camping yeah right we had right. a sous chef hiking with us didn't yep. have to set up a tent or nothing and yep. it was absolutely amazing but honestly that was the thing that triggered me hey i really like being outdoors i really like hiking i need to do this when i'm back in the states and i totally. set it up that's awesome that's great to hear that connection between glamping in peru and now why you, know, you focus on hiking right now there's some people on our staff and in team rdb they are just hiking gurus i mean it like it just defines them in many ways and their passion and like if they don't do it for a certain period of time you just see it affects their mood and their energy and all that like and so that's the thing find your thing right whether it be hiking or whether it be like for me in the past couple years it's been rower i never rode a day in my life you know in in real life or on a concept two rower and and i love a 25 minute to 30 minute row right now i know i can just sit there and if i can willpower myself to keep rowing it's just my day is so much better, right? But find your, find your thing in your, whatever season of life you're in right now and commit to it and get good at it and, and find a way to enjoy the suffering or enjoy the discomfort. And it's, it's life-changing. Going back to that 
time period you talked with RWB, Team RWB, 2012, 2015, what was your inflection point? When did you feel like, okay, this is not just a hustle operation anymore. Now we got to scale up. Yeah. And scaling a nonprofit is no joke, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody loves to tell you how to do it. But it's just got different nuances. And veterans, let's be honest, the VSO space is like very, very saturated. Yes. You know, you have a distinct brand. Yeah, has has been for a long time. You're exactly right. I mean, it is it is not easy. You know, so first of all, I, I summarize a couple of things. This feels a little bit reminiscent of some of the conversations you know, I've had before with Todd Connor way back in the day on Bunker. I was like on a Bunker video back in like 2014 or something like that. But I, I described the first 18 to 24 months as the fight for legitimacy phase. Anytime you start something, I think that you've got about two years to prove that it's legit and that there's a need for what you're doing. If, if in two years you haven't established that, that need for it, then I think you probably are getting you know, the feedback from the market that, hey, maybe this is not as important as you thought it was. You know, maybe this is not as, as important to bring to the children or to, you know, to the veteran community. So after making it through that, there's this question then of like, well, hey, do you stay small in niche or do you try to scale? For us, what pushed us to scale, Mike, was that we were selected by one of the largest consulting firms in the world to be their pro bono nonprofit partner of choice in the summer of 2012. So we had just turned about two years old and they built us out a program and a strategy and a blueprint to help take us from being this small organization to scaling and said, hey, if you want to scale over the next five years, this is generally what needs to happen. And so, you know, I think a lot of us felt the whole board, which is essentially a working board, felt a sense of responsibility that, hey, there's been a lot of effort put into helping us think through how to scale this. You know, and, and so for me, like that's, that's where it started, you know, was they challenged me to think about, hey, you can scale this, man. And oh, by the way, you should. There's a need there. Here's the data that shows that veterans are looking for fitness. They're looking for physical activity. They're looking for relationships in their new community. And so if you can build programs to deliver on that, you're going to have a lot of people that want to join your team. You know, and so for us, that was, you know, uh, the big push 2012 into 2013. I was still an, an army officer. And so we hired our first you know, veteran, Blaine Smith, and then JJ Pinter. So we hired a couple of veterans right off the bat in, in 20, you know, late 2012 into 2013. And really, you know, I turned my focus to fundraising and continued to bring in some more money. But as you talked about, like the, the energy in the veteran space, even though it was saturated back then, and it still is saturated now, we started to build a lot of confidence and momentum from funders that said, I see what you're doing. It, it's a needed thing. And so we started to grow revenue relatively quickly from like 150,000 to 500,000 to a million to 2.2, right? And so we were growing our revenue fast. And we were then able to hire people and start saying, okay, what are we going to do to build this thing out? And so a lot of people believed in us and in our ability to, to build a national organization. And so, you know, really 2013 through 2015, 16, those, those are the boom years where we just kept growing and growing. And a lot of veterans wanted to serve fellow veterans. And a lot of veterans knew that they needed the, the tribe and the community from, you know, you know, from the veteran community to be able to get through the ups and the downs of life. And, and we just could not grow fast enough to be able to meet that need. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the, the initial story. But then, like any organization, as you know this, right, everyone's cute when you're the little baby. Everyone wants to hold the little baby because you're new. But then you become a teenager, you know, and often like a loudmouth teenager at that, you know, and and all of a sudden you're, you're not cute anymore. And internally, your body's changing and you're trying to figure out, like, who am I? What am I going to be? 
You know, and so RDB, like any organization, business or nonprofit, went through those years, you know, in 20, let's say 17 to 2021, where we were still a veteran transition organization, but the need for that was was receding because the large-scale deployments were slowing down. And it was like, well, wait a minute, like what is our purpose here if we're not helping veterans to transition and reintegrate? Oh, it's to help them on their health and wellness journey, right? So it took a period of time to recognize that we needed to evolve and that we needed to, to make some changes in terms of our programming, but also telling the world who we are and what we do. And that was, that was a tough time. That was a tough stretch. You know, I was on the board for a couple of those years and I was the executive director for a couple of those years, you know, and we've really emerged into this really beautiful place right now in, in late 2023. And 2024 is going to be arguably our, our best and strongest year ever. But, you know, it's been, as you mentioned earlier, like, you know, entrepreneurship and organization building and leadership, especially in the COVID and now post-COVID time. It's, it's a dogfight, man. And a lot of analogies here to boxing, man, but it's definitely a slugfest. I know I need to write my book, right? My next book needs to do about leadership and boxing. But I'll tell you this, when you're doing a nonprofit and a lot of listeners have aspirations of serving their community in some way. And so they think of the nonprofit as an easy way to get started. But one of my frustrations with the nonprofit space is we're startups just like anything else. Mm -hmm. You come up with a thesis, you take it to market, you get punched in the face. Yes. And then you realize <laughs> like, you know what? Hey, maybe this wasn't the best route to go. Maybe I need to pivot here. You yeah. know, the other thing, too, is like people also expect you to keep that same mission forever. Right. You yeah. know, it's like, hey, this is what we started. This is how we fund the program. But like you said, you're growing, you're evolving. And that transition space you talked about, it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. I think you own that wellness hook, line and sinker. And yeah, you've got a great you. brand to do it. Another question. Yeah. The colors. Right. Mm -hmm. Was that a strategic from the very beginning about yeah. kind of standing out and establishing that? Yeah. Great question. It's very tactical, but very also applicable to anyone who's listening or thinking about like the application in the building of the brand. So we started out the first shirt that we had because like I didn't know any better. Like we just got like a standard white shirt <laughs> and we slapped on like the eagle on there and like part of the wings were red, part were blue. So it was red, white and blue. But it was about 18 months in, maybe maybe less than that, 15 months in. Someone who understood the brand, the company's name is Rule 29. They're one of our strategic partners on this. You know, they said, hey, when you go to races, when you go to whether 5Ks, marathons, when you're out and about, there's a tons of people out there that got white shirts on, you know? And so it's, it's kind of hard to stick out. But we noticed that there's really no one out there with a base color red for their shirt. And, and so they, they kind of reconfigured the eagle, which, you know, most people don't know this as well, but I'm you know, pointing to it. But it, the body is actually a star. The body of the eagle is a star. And they changed it and they said, hey, you want the white to be here on the left so it catches the eye and then it rolls to the blue. But having it on, the, on that bright, vibrant red, definitely much like the Livestrong shirts of like the, you know, the 2010 era, you know, when that was such a huge charity, that bright yellow, you could see it from a long ways away. So that was like the recommendation of someone who really knew what they were doing to tell us that. And it's played a a huge role in the branding because uh, when you go to races and you go to events, you'll still see very few people have have a red base color. And that's how I first got exposed to you because I was at a bunker lab, city leader, whatever mm -hmm. it was called, fly in at the time in Washington, D.C. We all met up that morning to go for a run. And I saw like three or four guys rocking red Team RWB yeah. T-shirts. Yeah. You know, and I was like, oh, what's Team RWB? So then, you know, you find out about it. So I think and I do the same thing with Ironbound Boxing. Yep. I try to tell people apparel is a great brand builder. 
right? Yes. I know a lot of times people try to leverage it as a revenue source, mm-hmm. but that's a whole different kind of business model. I don't know if it works for you all in that way, but it does work as a great brand awareness. Yeah, absolutely. It's much more brand building for us. You know, and it's very, well, we, we've, t- we've tried multiple things. We've done licensing agreements. We've partnered with people. We've taken it like largely in-house where we buy from veteran owned businesses that build various gear and then we sell it. We've tried all kinds of routes. At the end of the day, it's not a very easy, as Mike Nemeth, Nemeth would tell you, right? Like it's not a very easy business because the margins are thin and you got to be doing a lot of volume. People have come to expect good quality, great customer service. They want the quality to be amazing and it to be affordable, right? Like you just, you can't do that compared to like the big brands like Nike or whoever, you know, even though they're charging 35 or 40 bucks for their shirt, you, you know, people are expecting you somehow to charge cheaper, right? So yeah. it's definitely not, I don't think, a, a very reliable source of revenue, no matter who you are as a nonprofit or, or even a business, unless you get really good at it. It's much more about getting your brand out there and having it be something that people can look at, see, and then draws them in to say, I might want to be a part of that organization. Going back to what you said about the consulting firm you worked with, a lot of support you got. You know, I try to tell people this staying power. Like this yeah. year, Mike, I raised yeah. more money for Ironbound Boxing than I've done in like the last five years. Yep. And I firmly believe it's because we stayed alive. Totally. You know, Absolutely. people want to look up. They want to see you're there. You're still fighting a good fight. And then there's a little bit of trust. And so we're growing. But whenever somebody does a nonprofit and they want to do these strategic plans, you know, you bring in the consultants. This is how you scale. How hard was it for you all to close that strat? I call it the strategy gap, the strategy mm-hmm. and actually executing it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, so no matter how refined and brilliant the consultant strategy is that they work with to build with you, again, boxing analogy here, my man, Mike Tyson, right? Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Like, you know, another, another Mike, you know, I mean, spot on. Like I I quote that at least once every two weeks to people, you know, Uh, Eisenhower said, you know, planning, I think something along the lines of plans are worthless. Planning is priceless. So you know, like, that's the thing Like you can have this beautiful strategy in this plan, but you know, oh, COVID comes along. <laughs> like, like, how, how do you how quickly can you adjust and adapt, you know, and, and remain relevant in a period of volatility or uncertainty? That's really what it's all about. And so I think that it's less about how beautifully and flawlessly do you execute the beautifully laid out game plan or strategy. And it's more about how well does this position you to execute on that plan? as accurately as you can in the next 12 months, but being completely prepared for, oh, hey, Austin Riley of the Atlanta Braves has reached out and wants to partner with you guys and wants to put on a fundraiser event and do this and do that. Wow, okay. Well, we got to find a way to, to, to get to yes, like tomorrow on that. And so to me, that's the big thing here is, you know, the power of the plan or the strategy is it gives you the ability the freedom of maneuver to be agile and to adapt to the opportunities that come your way, right? And so you think about it as balls and opportunities coming your way, you got to be able to catch them, right? And you've got to be ready to catch them, you know, or the other analogy here would be like, you know, if you're sailing, the sail, you have to have the sail up when you catch that gust of wind. If you miss it, right, you know, that's not good, right? You have to be ready to catch those opportunities when they emerge. And that to me is the power of planning and the power of the strategy is it, it gives you the framework it gives you like the, the, the ability to like set a path out there, but to adjust off of it as quickly as you possibly can when those big opportunities present themselves. Now, you've scaled up Team RWB. You've got the Positivity Project. You've written multiple books. What's your family situation look like? 
So it's pretty, like most of the things in my life, it's pretty intense. So I've got, I live on 32 acres, about, you know, an hour south of Raleigh. I live on 32 acres. You know, we moved out here about on Memorial Day weekend of 2019. So about eight months before COVID kicked off. And I never lived on land in my life and never raised an animal in my life, never grew a vegetable in my life. And we're doing all that now. We've got a couple of dairy cows. By we, I mean my wife and I've, I've got five kids aged three to 13. So, you know, we've got a couple of dairy cows, a couple of dairy goats. We've got a couple of beef cattle. We have four pigs. We've got 15 ducks, 65 chickens. Some of them are meat birds and some of them are egg layers. And we've got 18 Thanksgiving turkeys. So like I'm a sort of jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, I, we've got a, a little of a lot of different things. And that's been super eye-opening, super humbling over the past four years to realize how hard it is whether you're raising bees for honey or you're growing cucumbers and tomatoes or you're trying to keep dairy cows with enough fresh grass you know, to give you good raw milk, it's a constant battle and a constant struggle where you're just always in problem-solving mode. And like today, we had a possum that was playing possum in the yard. What do you do with it? Do you go pick it up, risk it and bit, or do you, put it, you know, shoot it with a 22? Because <laughs> you know, we have two dogs at night that patrol and they roam. They're, they're called Great Pyrenees. So you know, every day you just don't know what problem will present itself. And again, it's that whole adaptability thing. And so my life on the farm with the family is really impressed upon me the importance of, of being agile because you just don't know what the day is going to throw at you. And one of the reasons I asked that question is because, you know, a lot of veterans transition, some young, but some a lot older, they've been transitioned. They want to start that small business, startup, nonprofit organization. But at the end of the day, you're not doing this alone. You got a girlfriend, you have a partner, you have kids. And the fact that you're able to scale this thing up with five kids, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't want to use the word, how do you balance yeah. it all? Yeah. I'm going to say, how do you keep it all together? Yeah. I mean, so I think that, you know, the biggest thing I've learned, you know, about life stems, you know, back to positive psychology. And that is that the number one predictor of life satisfaction is our relationships and that life is a team sport, you know, and I fear like one of the things as I look at Western society. I think that there's, there's just been a big push you know, towards individualization. One, we've always been more individualistic than collectivist cultures in Asia and Africa and in Latin and South America, you know, in Europe and Australia and in, in North America. You know, but I, I really think that there's been, you know, our, our feed is curated. It gives us what we want, right? What we like, what we subscribe to, what we already believe. You know, the, the focus on, individ, on the individual yeah, if, I'm not sure if you've ever read the book called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam, like 1995 or 97, but he saw this. Sebastian Younger, of course, wrote the book Tribe. You know, like, like we are built for community. Life is a team sport. Going back to my point here is everything I do, both of the books I wrote, co-authors. My staff at Team Red, White, and Blue have got like, like the whole team is, is, you know, is fantastic, but like the, the, the fellow senior leaders are just incredible. The Positivity Project, co-founder, Grace and Glory Farms, where I live my wife and kids. Like I'm a teammate everywhere I go. Right. And, and I know that. And I, I don't struggle with asking for help. I don't struggle with saying, Hey, like, I'm not good at this. Like I need, my wife is the person who, who fixes things around our farm. She's like, I'm not good at fixing things. I'm not good at like the, you know, being the handyman. And, and she is like, I'm not, a, like, I'm a little embarrassed by that. Like <laughs> not a lot, right. You know, but it's just the whole notion of, I keep it together because I'm constantly in a team sport mentality. I co-founded and I chair the board at Father Vincent Capadano High School from Staten Island, you know, a, a Marine chaplain, you know, like, so like everything I do, it's about the team. 
And that means that you can, when you need to tag out and you're like, hey, I got to go do this and I can't be there today. Whether it's I travel for work and I'm not at the farm or I'm doing something for Team Red, White, and Blue and I can't do it for the Positivity Project. Like, I've got teammates everywhere and I, and I love all my teammates and I rely on them and I trust them to be able to get done whatever needs to get done. You know, and with that, that mentality and that mindset and approach, I'm able to, to dabble in a lot of different things, you know, effectively, but I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm bringing that, that team mentality to everything I do. If y'all aren't taking notes down on this episode, you are missing out. Cause I'm telling y'all, as soon as I hop off with Mike, yeah. I'm about to purchase, <laughs> lead yourself first, because yeah. you've gave me $2 million insights, multiple yeah. million dollar insights. Yeah. I'm highlighting myself right here. Life is a team sport and the importance of teammates. You know, when I think about a lot of situations people have been caught up in, you know, we go in the military, we're taught to have a battle buddy, mm -hmm. you know, have your swim buddy. Then people get caught up in life and they get beat up and stuff happens. Where's your teammate? Where's totally. your battle buddy? You know, why are we not holding each other accountable? I was listening to a job. <laughs> I was listening to a Jocko podcast today and it was with Don Fall, who's a Naval Academy grad. That's now the CEO of CrossFit. And he was talking about his experience, you know, showing up to the Naval Academy and being held accountable for other people. They're mm -hmm. like, why is your roommate jacked up? He's like, what do you mean? I did. I, I put not my together. Yeah. I'm not jacked up. What I got right. to do with him? Yeah. And I think secretly a lot of us actually miss that. Totally. You know, we miss that idea of like, it's not just about me. It's about this person to my left, to my right. We get out. We start our own businesses to create that. But for us as leaders that find ourselves at the top of the food chain, making all the decisions, yada, yada, yada. We need our own peer groups, right? That way we right. hold each other accountable as well. Love it. Love it, Mike. Yeah, I mean, that's it, man. Like, that's, that's the thing, you, you know, is that, you know, if you can bring that mentality, that battle buddy mindset, you know, that, hey, every, everything I'm in, you know, is basically a, a team endeavor, then you just know that some people are going to pick up the slack for you when you need it. And oh, by the way, like, Sometimes that might be you, might, you made a mistake. Hey, I made a mistake and I overbooked or I overplanned this. And so sorry, I can't be there for that. Now, it doesn't mean you got to be conscious, right? To not like take advantage of that or not, you know, I can't travel too much. Like, so cap my travel at seven days a month because, like, that's the right day. I go much beyond that. Like, I'm putting too much pressure on my family, right? To be able to run the homestead and to do everything, you know, that, you know, that we do. But if I don't travel enough, then I'm putting pressure on my teammates at Team Red, White, and Blue to cover down on. And so, it's leading yourself first, being analytical and really thinking about where you spend your time, making good decisions. But if you go back to, and I go back to the research from my mentor, you know, Jim Collins, and he talked about Hewlett and Packard like a long time ago. And, and the big conclusion, you know, he asked, someone asked them a long time ago, what was the biggest decision you made? They asked Hewitt, I picked Packard. Packard, I picked Hewitt, <laughs> right? Like it's the, you know, seven out of 10 of your biggest leadership decisions, decisions are not strategy decisions, Jim Collins says. They're people decisions. They're who decisions. And when you partner with Dr. Caroline Angel on the Resilient Culture Initiative and Jeff Bryan on the Positivity Project and JJ Pinter on Team Red, White, and Blue and your wife on the homestead and Devin Caps and Francis Klotz for Father Capadano High, like when you partner with the right people, right, they will be, they will have your back. They will be there for you. They will step up into the breach, right, when, when you need them to. And again, if you can make those, those decisions and get those right, it's sort of, Sky is the limit for you. Love it, man. Well, Mike, I appreciate you spending this time with us. You've given us so much value and insights. I'm serious, y'all. I got my little notebook. You can't see it. Nice. I'm taking notes <laughs> and everything. But as a community of veteran entrepreneurs, military spouses tuning in all over the country, all over the world, 
how can we support you and what you're doing with Team Red, White, and Blue and continuing to build your career as an author? Yeah, absolutely. So for, on, the, on the book front, yeah, it's obviously great when people read books and, and, and write reviews based upon what they learn from the book. That's always awesome. It's awesome just for an author to be able to see that. Like that it made a difference in people's lives. That is, that is why you don't make lots of money on books unless you're certain people and like you can sell like millions of copies, right? You know, so you write books for the passion of it and to know that you're changing people's lives. But the easiest, best way to support the veteran community, the health and wellness of the, of the community is by joining Team Red, White, and Blue, being active. You can go get the download the app, create your profile. You can you know, go to the website, teamrwb.org and join the team. And simply by whether you're working out on your own or you're going on a hike with one other person or you go join your local chapter, you participate in a monthly mission like the Mogadishu Mile or the Purple Heart Workout, whatever it is that you do, by wearing the brand, it sends a signal to other veterans that you don't even know are around you at the park or you know somewhere in the airport or wherever you're walking, you send that signal of like, hey, I support the health and wellness of this veteran community. That to me is like the is the simplest, easiest app that I can make is you know, we need more veterans and supporters, but definitely veterans putting on the eagle and and challenging one another to be physically active, to tap into the power of that physical activity throughout all the ups and the downs of life's journey, knowing you've got a community and a team that has your back and that you're a part of. And even if you only see them in person, you know, a couple times a year, but you feel that that connection and that sense of purpose and identity, like that's what we ask of people, you know when it comes to team red, white, and blue. Take another note here. Tap into the power of physical activity. Mike, here's my commitment to you. I will get the book. I'm going to purchase the book. I'll leave your review. And I'm also going to buy a t-shirt since I jump off with you. So I appreciate you. Keep doing the great work that you're doing. And again, it's been an honor to have you on this platform. For all our listeners, do me a favor. I need you to subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already and leave us a review on iTunes. I really appreciate it. Until next time, everyone, peace, love. Have a great rest of your week.